Welcome to Educator Forever, where we empower teachers to innovate education. Join us each week to hear stories of teachers expanding their impact beyond the classroom and explore ways to reimagine teaching and learning. So we have April Brown, our amazing learning and development manager at Educator Forever, here with me today to talk about the wonderful world of teacher coaching. Yes, I'm so excited to be here to talk about this today. Yay, me too. So I did a little bit of coaching when I first left the classroom, but most of it was in person. And I feel like I learned a lot through that experience, but that was like a decade ago. And I know you've been immersed in the world of online teacher coaching. So I'd love for you to start telling us a little bit about that. Like, how did you get started? What type of work have you been doing? Yes, I would love to. So I, I'll kind of start from the beginning. So I think that coaching, I didn't really realize that what I was doing was coaching when I kind of first sort of stepped into it. I think I began supporting teachers, even as a new teacher, I began sort of supporting teachers in looking at their practices in a curious way and encouraging them to think outside of the box in a way that would really just support their students' learning. And so I think I started, you know, while I was still teaching in Michigan as a special education teacher, I was definitely like tapping into my passions and connecting with teachers like in my district in that way. And then when I moved to teach in Placencia, Belize, I actually supported getting a school off the ground. And then I kind of like naturally held a variety of leadership positions, one which was coaching and supporting teachers in competency-based learning and kind of shifting to inclusive and responsive practices. So that was the beginning. I love that. And I love how that's not called coaching, like as an outward job title, right? Like you weren't an instructional coach, yet you within these other roles were are doing so much coaching already and just realizing that for many teachers, like we have done coaching before. Yes, I love that. I feel like that's so important because as teachers, we often, well, we're either asked to take on all of these different roles, often without extra compensation, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Or it's like this natural thing that kind of like we're drawn to because we are often so, you know, multi-passionate and curious about so many different things that yes, absolutely. It's like so many of us are already coaches, although we wouldn't consider our, like we wouldn't necessarily know, hey, I should put that on my resume, right? Yes, absolutely. I know the things I think about for me when I started coaching were that as a classroom teacher, I had had student teachers pretty consistently for the last couple of years I was in the classroom. And that is so much coaching that I never really realized until I was applying for coaching jobs. I'm like, well, what have I done? So if you've had a student teacher or even a beginning teacher in your school, you've done so much coaching, likely just being a resource for them. And it's often thinking back about those experiences or experiences leading PDs or things like that to know how to position your experience. Yes, absolutely. I love that. Unfortunately, at times, like we don't have the extra support we need when we're in the classroom. So that natural sort of desire to support new teachers that are coming in or teachers who are shifting to a new position who may not have 
all of the information that they need to be successful. So then we kind of just step in and we're like, hey, here's what I've learned doing the thing. I'm curious if this would work for you or here's some different strategies to try. Yes, I love that. That's awesome. And so going from your kind of in-person coaching experiences in schools, can you tell us how you moved into the world of virtual coaching? Yeah, so it's actually really exciting, the world of virtual coaching. And it's not something that I had ever considered. For me, definitely, you know, doing the Beyond the Classroom course and like having a young child and now I have two children, the remote sustainability is such an important piece of sort of my nonlinear journey in education. And so for coaching, it was actually like at the start of the pandemic and we were relocating from Austin, Texas to Putney, Vermont to be closer to my my husband's family. And there was a position posted online for an instructional coach through a company. And there's quite a few companies that do, you know, instructional coaching. We'll get into this later, but there's a bunch of different types of teacher coaching that you can do. And so I applied for the position. And, you know, when I did that, I also was very aware of like, hey, it's not like I'm applying and saying, I have 10 years teaching mathematics to become like an instructional coach for math. Like my background is very varied. I'm, you know, my background is in special education and I've taught pre-K eighth grade and I've taught in like multi-age, you know, classrooms internationally. So I really wasn't sure how that would be received and it was received well because, and, and I'm throwing that out there because I feel like folks that do have a variety of experiences should really actually lean into coaching. And so I applied and I got the position and I have been, it's been like, you know, through the whole pandemic going on three years now that I've done more of the instructional coaching for teachers around the United States and in all different types of positions, special education, general education, you know, small schools in Montana. So yeah, it's been really awesome to see sort of how that world opens up to us and how we can support teachers virtually and provide like a safe space for them, like on the computer. Yes, I love that. And I think that really starting in the pandemic is perfect timing for teachers who needed extra support of being able to have someone in their quarter. And I know you started talking about kind of instructional coaching, but is there are there other types of coaching that teacher coaches can do? Yes. And so that's sort of really what has naturally like my progression has sort of led me towards educator wellness and educator well-being. And as you said about the pandemic highlighting this, we see that teachers are, you know, under-resourced, exploited, underpaid, like all of the things and the pandemic really like exemplified it, although we knew that all along as teachers, right? We knew all these things were happening. It's just that it was sort of like drawn front and center, like across the news, the way that teachers were being treated. And so the wellness coaching, I decided to get certified as a trauma-informed specialist. And so through that, I hold peer support groups, which are kind of like wellness circles for educators. And then through that, I started kind of getting curious, like, is there this world of wellness coaching out there? And there are. There's some specific companies I can mention, too, like Edwell, The Teaching Well. I know there's like state-specific companies as well that I would encourage teachers to really look into if you're interested in this type of work. 
And that allows you to really focus on the whole teacher outside of setting outcomes for them to work towards. And I think that is what I'm really drawn to is teachers being able to be held in a way where you just say like, hey, I see you, like, let's go ahead and hold space without saying, but I also need you to like, fill up these boxes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yes. And I think that is so needed. And something that I am very excited about seeing come into fruition, you know, in all these different places, having these supports for teachers, and I think having it be virtual, having people with expertise, like how awesome is that to have you come in with your expertise, and be able to consult with teachers all over and really expand your impact that way and also support teachers in a different way. And I always say like one of the things that I find the most appealing with virtual coaching is the idea that teachers could likely be more vulnerable with people they don't know in real life. Like I had a coach when I was teaching who had taught at my school for many, many years. I was a beginning teacher. She had been there for like, I don't know, 30 years or something and knew everybody and everything in it. And I felt super uncomfortable saying, hey, I'm really struggling here, or I don't understand this because it felt like she just knew it all already in a way that wasn't approachable. Mm -hmm. And so to me, this idea of like not running into your coach in the hallway and being able to have this space that really is just for you seems so supportive for teachers. Yes, I love that too, like... This idea about what sort of skills a coach should embody, I think Mm -hmm. is the right word that I'm looking for. And I always say this too, to a lot of folks, I was, this is sort of a story, like an aside, but like I was talking to a first year teacher who recently had an observation and it was very punitive. And so I was sort of like providing some context about how like some of us, when we work in the system for a very long time, we take on that punitive toxicity and we project it like on others, you know, because it's the way that we've been treated. So how are we supposed to treat others in a different way if we've not experienced that empathy piece? Yes. And so that's kind of what it reminds me of. And so... For a coach, it's really just like we talk about, you know, as educators being like a facilitator of growth and welcoming our students in a way where like, yes, we are guiding you through instruction, but we're also like coexisting and experiencing things together. And like, if you're a first year teacher or a 30 year teacher, we both have things to offer each other. Yes, absolutely. Like that hierarchy, like that's like one of the things that I like to make sure like in this space. I always talk about myself as a thought partner. So that's like ultimately the way that I frame it. And I feel like that's such a beautiful shift. Not like, hey, here's the agenda. We're going to cover it. It's sort of like, hey, like what challenges are you facing? How can I support you in working through them? And then also, how can we support your well-being along the way so that you can have the energy to like be mindful of the ways that you might be conditioned to take on some of these practices or mindsets that really don't serve you. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love that. And I think that so much of it is really just like holding space for them. Like teachers don't need other people telling them what to do. Like we have enough of that, right? And I think it's the same thing with like in the classroom, like why student-centered learning is so powerful 
because that's really when people learn best when it comes from them and they're supported with thought partners and other you know people around them to find their way. And I think that it's so different in a very refreshing way to be able to have it be more open and less hierarchical and have it be more of just support, you know, and like you talk about like, or everybody talks about like, what do teachers need? You know, what do teachers need to feel less burnout? Like, they need that space and thought partners and support to, to really figure things out and be empowered to figure it out themselves, rather than having people say like, come in and do X, Y, and Z over and over and over again. Yes, I love that. And I feel like it's sort of a natural progression then to talk about like our work at Educator Forever and sort of how we support teachers in exploring careers beyond the classroom in a way that is joyful and really just allows them to tap into their passions and to dream. Mm-hmm. Yes. And to have a voice. I mean, I think some of the things that you're talking about too, like teachers often internalize all of these structures that just tell them that they're not important, right? And so teachers are the most important, I would argue, in the education space and really should be having the loudest voice of all and being able to like have this feedback loop of telling everybody else, like, what is it like in the classroom? What's working? What's not working? What are students struggling with? Where do students need other support? And so really empowering those voices to be heard, whether it's through writing curriculum or coaching or consulting or staying in the classroom, but feeling empowered to make changes within your specific school or district. Like we are all about elevating teacher voice. Mm, Yes, it's so important. And it's a beautiful thing to see folks like I feel like even with coaching, like to just circle back to see folks step into like what they already knew deep down, like to pull from their wisdom. And I think that's ultimately like the goal of everything instead of like, you know, you can sit there and shove something down someone's throat, like, or a child. I mean, you know, like I'm a parent, like you can say the same thing over to your kid, like over and over again, but when they actually experience it and they pull from their, you know, from their knowledge and from their heart, it's a different outcome than if you're just doing the thing to check off the list because then the insights are so much more powerful. I don't know if that made sense. Oh, yeah. I'm like shaking my head so much. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think so much of it, again, is that like litmus test of like, do I actually believe this, you know, as a teacher? Again, we're told to do so many things all the time. So it's really understandable why we don't really know what we believe and what we're just doing because we're told we have to do it. And so I think so much of it is like examining, like, do I have this like discipline system, quote unquote, because I truly believe that it's effective and good for kids, or do I have it because I just haven't seen another way, or I feel like this is the norm. And so I think if it's one of the latter, like that invites questioning and investigation. And there's always other ways to do things. And it's really that like uncovering and unpacking of what feels aligned to your beliefs and getting in touch with that. And like, if we can give people the gift of that through coaching or whatever other interactions, you know, that inner knowing and like empowerment to make decisions aligned with your values and your beliefs and like actually really helping kids and other teachers, then I think that's the biggest gift of all. That's so powerful. 
So you talked a little bit about kind of the skills or approaches that coaches can take. And are there particular skills or background experiences that you think are particularly helpful for folks who are interested in becoming coaches? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think something that I hadn't necessarily considered as much prior before coaching was the importance of having a really, really strong resource bank. So, like with coaching, just like anything, you're working with teachers who are often in very high needs, stressful environments, as you know, because if you decided to like kind of move from the classroom and then jump into this work, you're also like you're sitting, you know, you're having your 30 minute hour sessions back to back and you're sitting and you're listening and you're holding space. So I would say that like one skill set that is very important is to make sure that you have like, okay, what what resources can I pull from if I'm feeling a certain way? Is it like a partner? Is it going for a long walk? Is it dancing? Like I love dancing. I'm feeling stressed out. Let me put on some music and start dancing. Is it like a cup of tea? Like you're a tea drinker, like that ritual of like warmth and things like that. Or just wearing really comfy items when you're coaching so that you feel cozy and you feel like you have the emotional capacity to support others. Because what we see, I feel like with coaching sometimes, and then this is where like folks, like, I mean, your example, right? Like the teachers don't have the emotional capacity. So they're going through the motions and then they're just kind of like giving off, oh, do this, do this, do this. And it becomes like this like mindless outcome-based Thing that needs to get done to check off the box that the admin told us to. And so I would say like that strong practice of like self-care, I think active listening is huge because often instead of like giving someone a solution, right? And we talk about this with Educator Forever too. This is sort of circling back to, to some of my thoughts before allowing them to jump into the wisdom that they have. So if you hear someone say something that you really believe is not true about children or neurodiversity affirming practices or whatever, sort of being able to like form a question to have them consider their beliefs and like pulling in that information. And I would say that that takes really, really great listening skills, right? Yes, And it's so hard. I mean, I think it's so hard when you hear somebody say something that you don't, that you strongly disagree with, to be able to kind of put aside your personal beliefs and come at it with compassion and hopefully like true learning to ask the right questions. And often, I think, as you said, like people don't actually, once you uncover it, like they don't actually believe what they said, you know, or they you know, just have been going through it for whatever reason. And it's really connecting again to like what they truly believe. And of course, there's going to be diversity in like our beliefs and our values. And like, that's great. But I think being able to coach people efficiently is like getting them to connect to them. And it's not about our particular beliefs or things that we want them to do. It's really guiding them. Mm, Yes. And it's like, Because it doesn't matter. Someone can just sit there and tell you like, yes, I'm going to do that thing. But unless they embody it and there's a shift in their actual like feeling when they're doing practices like that are dehumanizing or whatever, then there's not going to be change. So it is, it's a hard thing to navigate like when you're in those spaces that I feel like over time I've learned and some of the most challenging folks that I've worked with in the beginning a lot of it came down to the way that they were being treated. And so mm-hmm. then when 
when we start to be able to move from like this individualistic like look and we kind of like move outward into like this bird's eye view and we see the system as a whole and we can say like, hey, I have a choice and like here are my choices, which which leads me to some of the things that teachers realize that they want to change, then they're able to feel empowered to use their voice to advocate for changes. Like, so for example, like, why do I have to make my students stand in line without talking and not move their hands or whatever? And then it's like, oh, wait, like maybe we should advocate for more like humanizing practices where students can like kind of move around in the hallway and like talk to their peers, which is also like connected to what Educator Forever's mission is that like what what is not working that we want to see disrupted and changed, we can step into, you know, like our skill set to drive those changes. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And we know the best as teachers, right, of what's not working. And so I think being empowered to share like, hey, <laughs> you know, I was told to have my kids all line up this way. And actually, I see kids really struggling with that. And it makes them feel disconnected to school. It makes them feel not seen like all the things being able to articulate that and know that your experience of being there with students is valuable and something that needs to be heard. I think it starts with that you know, really just looking critically and knowing that your voice matters, even when systems and schools tell you that it doesn't, it does. It does. And so I think just also persisting with that and that you know what is working or you at least are like inspired to be curious and find out, right? Like we all do things sometimes where it's like, oh, that wasn't a good idea. (laughs) Like That didn't work out this way. But just persisting to really find the best solutions for kids and for teachers and knowing that you don't have to be stuck in this system and these practices that really are not working. Yes. And so I think that brings up sort of like the last skill set that I would encourage folks to kind of lean into as coaches, or this is something that might just naturally draw you to coaching is like a sense of hopefulness, right? When we are in community with others, we have to stay grounded in hopefulness because that's really like the only way forward. And so there has to be like when you're meeting with folks, no matter how different, no matter like differences in opinion or whatever, we come together with this sense of like hopefulness for moving forward with like the children that are in our care. Yes. And that's what I would say like is so needed in schools and education is hope and joy. And so many things make it so hard to do that. Like, it's not your fault if you feel like you're so, you know, having all these things put upon you so much that you can't cultivate this like joyful classroom. That is completely understandable. But I think it is something worth pursuing, you know, and and considering like, what can we let go of, whether it's an expectation or something we're being asked to do or a personal belief or whatever, to invite more hope and joy, whether a coach or a teacher or anybody working within education. Yes. I love those kind of qualities. And I think it will help people reflect on how they might move forward as a coach. And if it's a good fit for them or not, you know, it might not be a good fit for you. And that's okay, too. You don't have to do all these options. They're all options for finding what feels like the best fit right now. But for people who feel like they're interested in exploring the world of teacher coaching, do you have any advice about where to start? 
Yeah, I would start. I mean, I think there's a variety of different options. I feel like if you are interested in in-person, that I think that even talking to your district about potential needs for instructional coaching, I know that you know from the pandemic, there's like a vast variety of different skill sets that they need to support educators like just coming into the classroom or teachers that are really looking to advance their skills. So that's where I would start for in-person possibly. And then if you're thinking about virtual, there's always companies hiring. So I would definitely go to like, you know, Indeed or LinkedIn and just search like instructional coaching for teachers and like click the remote and like, you know, different businesses like Better Lesson will pop up or different companies. I mean, there's so many that are constantly hiring for coaching. I will say that there's usually a natural progression of hiring depending on the season. And so you'll kind of see like when fall begins, there's usually like a large influx, like sort of late summer, there's a lot of people being hired as well. And then I would say too, that I think coaching is a really, for me personally, coaching fits in really nicely as sort of like one of my part-time positions. So that's something to consider as well. Like you could do coaching and do some other positions as well. If you're looking for full-time coaching, then there are definitely positions for that as well. It's just, you know, more heavy lifting because you're doing it all day long. (laughs) Yes. And that seems really challenging to me, honestly, to do coaching sessions many, many times a day, day after day, because of that emotional component that you talked about and being able to really have that emotional capacity to be there for the teachers you're working with, like... Of course, it depends on the people and some people might be able to like do it all day long. But for me, it really feels like, you know, doing more than a couple of sessions a day is hard because you do need to be fully present. You need to be able to really listen and hold space. And teachers, as we know, are going through so much that there's a lot of heavy listening (laughs) in all senses of the term that coaches need to do. So just something to be aware of. And, you know, thinking about whether it might be a piece of a puzzle or a full time job, like, again, no right or wrong answer, but just considering all the options there. I would add one more thing too. I loved your recommendations about how to get started. I would say also thinking about your resume, and looking back to kind of where we started in this conversation of particular experiences that you might have had that fit with coaching, you know, student teachers or mentoring or PD sessions, listening, you know, even coaching students, how could you tailor your resume to really highlight those experiences and that you do want to have a kind of separate or tailored resume for coaching opportunities as you go forward? Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all your coaching wisdom with us. It's always wonderful talking with you. Thank you, Lily. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, everybody. Want to figure out your next step as an educator? Watch our free on-demand workshop and embrace a career pathway that works for you. Go to educatorforever.com slash workshop. You'll get introduced to the many options for flexible, rewarding work beyond the classroom and make a plan for landing jobs.